Okay, if this is your first time here, I promise we're not this weird, all right? The thumb or the finger, that's a little odd. I don't know. Last night, I, I swore that it was the finger, and then I was I was teaching partway through the message, and I counted with my thumb. So go figure. I don't know how it works. But if you are new here, my name's Sean. I'm one of the pastors, and we are glad that you are here. In fact, it, it takes some courage to walk in to a group this size, to walk into a church for the first time. And if you don't know anybody, I just want you to know that uh, we believe that you belong. And we are glad that you're here. Belonging can be difficult. When I was eight years old, I didn't belong. My parents moved during the Christmas holiday, and I was the new kid at school. And I had red hair and freckles, and my mom said I was very handsome, but she didn't understand playground culture and how it works out for eight-year-olds. And for some reason, that was a magnet, and the kids would tease me about that. And, and I also didn't know how to read very well. In fact, I only read one book all the way through before college, Little House on the Prairie. And I'm really proud of that. I started a lot of books, but I could never finish. And so I had some delays there. And so this teacher would have everybody read a paragraph of a story. And I remember trying to read that, and just there was this sense of embarrassment and humiliation, of shame. And, and I just wasn't ready for it, because at my old school, I belonged. I, uh, you know, kids knew me, and teachers knew me. They understood me. I got picked first for the kickball team. I just had this sense of belonging. But when I was eight years old, that's when I learned how to hustle. Not the New York hustle, you know, it was the 70s, but I learned how to hustle for things like acceptance and approval, and I became a master at learning how to fit in. You know, you learn what to wear and what to say and who to hang out with and, and all of that stuff, and it's not just for kids, it's not just for teenagers, adults. We know how to fit in, don't we? But it's a little bit different than actually belonging. And so I got in fights on the playground because that was cool on my playground. And I played sports because, you know, let's face it, in our culture, people that play sports are, are sort of cool. And, uh, you know, and I, I learned how to memorize just about a whole paragraph because I would number, the, the teacher would number the kids off and I would count with her and I knew which paragraph I was going to have to read in the story every day. And so I didn't know what was going on in the story, but when it got to me, I could read my paragraph and so I could avoid some of that shame. And I think it was right around the age of eight and that's my earliest memory of going on this search to belong and so if you're just joining us we've been in this series it's a brand new series we're in week two called the search to belong because we just believe that all of us in our humanity have this intrinsic need this desire to belong to community to know and be known to love and be loved. And we know what it's like to be excluded, to be isolated, to be left out. We know the pain of that. And so we go on a search in our lives to belong. Can you remember a time when somebody welcomed you and you had this sense of belonging? Our staff was talking about that this week, and I was listening to different stories of, of when people were connected with. And they just felt like they belonged. Or maybe on the other side of the coin, you can remember a season where you just didn't belong and you were on the outside looking in. Maybe, maybe right now is a time like that for you in your life. 
at Lakeside, we, we talk about these three words all the time. They begin with the letter B. Carl mentioned them. And we, we just want to be a place where we can participate with you along the beginnings of your journey in faith. We want to be a part of that journey, especially the beginning part. And so we celebrate baptisms. There's, these, there's this picture, this symbol of, of somebody initiating this relationship with God and God initiating with them. And it's a beautiful thing. We want to be a place where you can begin in faith. And we also want to be a place where you can become more like Jesus. I mean, this is really the core of our mission because we believe that God just changes lives right here in the real world today, that there is transformation that can take place. And that's what we're working for, hoping for, praying for. And so we want to be a part of your journey as you become more like Jesus. But then there's that word become or belong, belong to community. And it's really the fabric. It's, it's really the, the whole journey is a journey of belonging. And so we want to be a place, even if this is your very first time here and you've never met anybody and it feels a little awkward and it feels a little strange, we want to be a place where you can have a strong sense of belonging. And so we're going to continue on in this journey. If you have your Bible, I want to invite you to open to Matthew chapter 8. And I love Matthew. I love Mark and Luke and John. These are the four books that the New Testament part of the Bible it starts out with these four books. And we call them Gospels. And I love the Gospels. And I, I encourage people, if you're ever sort of wandering in your spiritual life, if you're, if you're trying to figure out this God thing or this Jesus thing, go back to the Gospels. Read these sort of ancient biographies of Jesus, because that's where we find Jesus in real life, life on life, interacting with real people like you and me that struggled with real things like you and I struggle with. And so I love the Gospels. It's in the Gospels that we see Jesus having sometimes private conversations where somebody will visit him in the middle of the night, or somebody will sit with him at a well, and they'll have this great, meaningful connection. Sometimes Jesus is just at a party and he's hanging out and it's just sort of this social time. And sometimes he's with his disciples, kind of his close friends, and, and he's teaching them and, and, and they have this camaraderie. And sometimes he's just out in public. In fact, he's out in public a lot. He fed the 5,000 in public. He healed people in public. He taught the crowds out in public. He died on a cross in public. Jesus was just a master at connecting to people across all of those different spaces and in, in various ways. And in chapter 8 of Matthew, he has this encounter with a Roman military official. Look down in verse 5. It says, when Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him asking for help. Lord, he said, my servant lies at home paralyzed, suffering terribly. Jesus said to him, shall I come and heal him? The centurion replied, Lord, I do not deserve to have you come under my roof. But just say the word and my servant will be healed. For I myself am a, am a man under authority with soldiers under me. I tell this one, go, and he goes, and that one, come, and he comes. I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed. 
And he said to those following him, Truly I tell you, I have not found anyone in Israel with such great faith. And at that, those that were following them probably had their jaws dropped on the ground. Are you kidding me, Jesus? Anyone in Israel doesn't have the faith of this outsider? I mean, it only talks about Jesus being amazed in the scriptures a couple of times. One is with this outsider, and another is when he went to his hometown. And those people that knew him really well, where he grew up and should have been able to trust in him. And he was amazed, actually, at their lack of faith. And here is a Roman military official, by all accounts, an outsider. He works for the oppressive government. And in Luke, we know that this guy was a good guy, and, and he actually even helped the Jews build this community uh, place where they got together, this synagogue. And so they, they were saying, well, Jesus, you ought you to help this guy. But he has this amazing faith. Maybe more than the, the disciples. You know, he probably wasn't in this small group with a bunch of scribes studying the ancient scriptures. He probably wasn't discipled by a Pharisee one-on-one -on -one like the Apostle Paul was. And yet, Jesus is amazed at his faith. I think sometimes we need to be really careful when we decide to judge somebody else's faith because of what we see on the outside. I think Jesus wanted go, to go to this guy's house. He wanted to go deeper into relationship with him. But for whatever reason, he wasn't ready. And, and Jesus respected that. He didn't force himself on this guy. And sometimes we try to push people into places of deeper relationship or community. And they're just not ready. They just don't want it. They, 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 they're just not there. And Jesus validates that in this guy and says, all right, it's all right. I don't know why this man didn't want Jesus to come under his roof. I don't know why he felt like he was unworthy, but I know that we all know what unworthiness feels like. What we do know is that Jesus meets this man right where he's at, and he allows this centurion to have an important connection with him in a very public way. In his book, The Search to Belong, Joseph Myers writes that he allowed this centurion to be part of the family in public space. I love that phrase, the family. We're family here at Hopeville. The centurion did not want to be intimate with Jesus. He was not after a personal or social relationship. He needed Jesus to accept him in, public, in a public space and yet help in a significant way. Jesus honored that request. He writes, true community can be experienced in public space. Public space is not mere togetherness, it's connectedness, it's family. Shouldn't the church be like that? Isn't this one of the things that we're working for? I think we often underestimate the power of public belonging. 
About 10 years ago, I had the opportunity to go to a professional basketball game in Denver. Somebody gave us tickets, and I was in the second row. I've never sat in the front row, front row where they put their feet on, on the wood. That's really cool. I'd like to do that someday. Hint, hint, just saying. And, and, but I'll tell you, it was great. And uh, I felt a little out of place at first because I had never sat that close. I'm usually way up in the nosebleeds. And several people asked me, do you have a ticket, sir? Do you have a ticket, sir? And I was like, yes, I do. Do you see it? It's right here. And I sat down, and it felt a little awkward. I didn't know any of these people. I wondered, do they think that I took somebody else's seat? And, 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 you know, as the game went on, I sort of loosened up a little bit. I loosened up when one of the players jumped over the front row and into the lap of my friend. And that was really cool. And then sort of towards the end of the game, there was this moment. There was about five seconds left and the opposing team hit a shot and they went up by two points. And usually when that happens, the, the team calls timeout. And they kind of set up a play and designed something really fancy. But this time, they gave it to the point guard, and he just rushed up the court. It was a point guard named Tim Hardaway, who actually used to play for the Golden State Warriors. Really cool. And so at about 28 feet, he lets this shot go. And about 15,000 people rise to their feet, and they're watching the ball go. And when it hit the bottom of the net, you would have thought that a volcano erupted in that place. I mean, there was popcorn flying through the air. There's beers getting spilled all over the place. People are high-fiving. The guy in front of us jumped back and hugged my friend. I mean, it was crazy. It was like we were in each other's living room in that moment just watching this game. It, it, it was great. And I know that it was temporary, and I know that I'll never see those people again, and I know that it was just a moment in time. But in that moment... I felt connected. It was this moment of belonging. And, and sometimes we just feel that in life. And we know that it's temporary, but it's real. We feel it when we're at a concert with a thousand other people and the music moves us all. We feel it at a high school graduation when we have that sense of pride or maybe that sense of relief, depending on your situation, with grandparents and parents and you're all there and you feel that together. You even feel it when you're waiting in line at the tech store for the latest gadget to come out and you're all giddy and excited to get your new phone and you're in this big long line and you don't know anybody but you're talking how excited you are. Hey, how many gigs are you going to get? You know, and we're just experience that togetherness. I think sometimes we actually underestimate the power of public belonging. And when it works right, we experience it in a worship gathering just like this. Public belonging or public space isn't about connecting person to person. It's not even about knowing everybody's name, but instead it's about sharing a common experience along with others towards something that you connected. Do you remember where you were on September 11th, 2001? Do you remember what you felt? That's belonging. And believe it or not, we all need public belonging. And actually, we're designed for it. And actually, God designed the church to be a place where you can belong, even if you're not ready to go any deeper. And I just want to take the pressure off right now. If you're here and you're sitting here and you don't know anybody and it feels strange, I want you to know that we're glad that you're here and we believe that you belong. 
In fact, the church is probably the first human institution, maybe the only one, that is actually designed, and it doesn't always work this way, but we work hard for it, to have its doors flung open wide, where everybody can come in and belong. In fact, this this weekend, we celebrate Dr. Dr. Martin Luther King Jr.'s birthday, and we respect his work. And I believe that when he said, I have a dream, that he was actually describing the kingdom of God. Because we know at the end of the story, there will be people from every tribe and every tongue and every nation worshiping around the throne of God, experiencing the ultimate new creation. And so we want to be a place, no matter where you're at in this journey, where you can have a sense of belonging. And so if I could encourage you just to do one practical thing, it would be just just keep showing up. Just show up. Maybe even participate a little bit. You know, maybe sing a song or two, and that's really cool. Maybe jot some notes down, you know. Um, you, you might even feel generous, and you want to you give to the Lord. We're certainly not after anybody's money, but, but you know, th- that's where our heart goes, right? And so there's this sense of part- participation that will give you a sense of belonging, even if you never know anybody's name. So keep showing up. But public space isn't the only space. In fact, we can belong to God in other ways. We can belong to one another in other ways. Another space is a social space. And there's actually another gospel, the gospel of Luke, and Jesus has another encounter with another guy who was also sort of an outsider. His name was Zacchaeus in Luke chapter 19. And you might know the story. I learned a song when I was in Sunday school that reminds me of it. It goes, Zacchaeus was a wee little man. A wee little man was he. He climbed up in a sycamore tree to see what he can see. It's really silly, but I remember it. You know, it's, it, 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 it's in there. And so Zacchaeus was fascinated with Jesus. He wants to see Jesus, but he's kind of a short guy. Last night I made a crack about short guys, and there's this fellow staff person that didn't really like it. But I'm just saying, you know, it's the way it goes. I can't, I can't, I can't fix it now. And, uh, but, but I'll tell you, you know, he climbs up in this tree and he wants to have this encounter with Jesus somehow. And Jesus comes up to him in a very public way and says, Zacchaeus, I must go to your house. And I think Zacchaeus could have said no. And it would have been done with. And I think Jesus would have respected that. Just like he did with the centurion. Just like he did with the rich young ruler when he challenged him to follow after him. And it says that that rich young ruler went away sad. But Zacchaeus is excited, and he jumps down from the tree, and they go off to his house. And I think that they just had this big party, and there was food, and there was music, and there were all sorts of people around. And here we have this outsider. Zacchaeus is a, is a chief tax collector, and he works for the oppressive government, but he's also a Jew. He's a part of the nation of Israel. What was his search to belong like? I mean, I think he probably had to pay people to be his friends. But somewhere in the midst of this social space, and maybe because Jesus was just even willing to enter into that social space, he has this experience of connection. And in his search to belong, he finds Jesus. He actually finds that he belongs. Social space is powerful space. I have to tell you that it was it was so cool last week uh, watching all of you. Do you remember what happened last week? 
Last week, after the gathering, we we emptied out into the lobby, and they had these uber-addictive, sugary-topped, cream-filled, I-can-hear-myself-gaining-weight treats right outside there. And it was great, and we were eating food, and just to watch people hang out and talk. That is so healthy for us. On Saturday night, I was over in the, in the, in the block um, kind of hanging out with the students, and they were doing the same thing. Social space is so important to the life of our church, and Jesus experienced that. He was always going to parties. There was a party at Matthew's house. There was a gathering at Mary and Martha's house. They went to Peter's mother-in-law's house. There was a party at Simon the leper's house. Jesus even made wine at a wedding. And I'm not talking like, Bottom of the shelf, 495 bottles. I'm talking about I belong to the wine club bottle, you know, type, type stuff. I mean, that was, it's just so cool. And there was something about that space that was important to him. I think sometimes we can sort of get down on the social scene. We're like, oh, that's too shallow, you know. People are just chit-chatting. They're just hobnobbing. But I actually, I actually think that social space is sacred space. Because it's in that time that you begin to share snapshots of yourself with others. And they start to share snapshots of their life with you. It's here where we meet our potential close friends. It's here where we begin to discover who is in our oikos, maybe this season. Oikos, we talk about that. It's a Greek yogurt, but yes, it's also the Greek word for extended household. And it's, it's the idea that God just sovereignly places about 8 to 15 people, give or take, in our life at any given time. And sometimes people come in and out of our oikos. And sometimes people in our oikos, we're very, very close to them. But other times, you know, we're starting sort of building a relationship with them. And we're just sort of in that social space. And we're discovering that. It's in that space where you start to invite people out for coffee to get to know them. Or maybe you invite that couple over for dinner and you get to know them. It's so good for the life of our church. And we were talking on staff this week just about how life-giving it is when that sort of time happens. How are you doing in the social space in your life? If I could just give one little practical step in this space, it would be keep hanging out. It's okay to talk about the weather. You're not being shallow. You're just being normal. It's okay to just chit-chat and that sort of stuff and just sort of get to know each other and play it safe. It's okay to do that, but just keep hanging out. Show up and hang out. Another place where we find belonging is in a personal space, a personal space. And now we're getting a little bit deeper. I started ministry in the March of 1993, full-time ministry, and I worked with middle school students, and my first year was H-E double hockey sticks hard. It was just not easy. And I wanted to quit. I, I got to be honest with you, and I thought about it a lot, and I, you know, I got some mentoring in that, and, and I kind of just, you know, stuck it out for a while. But one of the reasons where... One of the reasons that it got fun is because I hired this guy named Dave. And Dave was my intern. 
And Dave was great at music. He was super outgoing. Kids loved him. And we sort of rolled our sleeves up together. And we just did ministry together. And we went on trips. And I discovered along the way that Dave and I liked some of the same things. We both loved coffee. So at 3 o'clock every day in my office, there was a pot of coffee on. And we just tanked together. It was amazing. And then we both loved golf. And so we enjoyed four and a half, five hours, sometimes six hours when I'm really playing bad. uh, You know, walks out on the golf course. And we just started to get to know each other. One of the things that was cool about Dave is that my wife and Dave knew each other when they were in high school, and and, and she became a part of our worship arts ministry, and so they sang together for about six or seven years, and for about seven years, Dave and I did ministry together. Dave is one of those friends where I I don't need to see him for six months, and and, and we'll get together, and we'll sit down, and it'll, it'll be like we haven't skipped a beat. We got married around the same time. We started having kids around the same time. I have three, he has seven. He's a little crazier than me. In fact, a lot of Dave's family live up here, and I just, she wasn't here last night, but I have to point out Dave's mother-in-law, Wendy, right in the back in the tech booth. Wave at Wendy. Hey, Wendy. So, yeah, this is really cool. Wendy was one of my first administrative assistants a long time ago, and so she watched me go through some of this up and down in ministry stuff. Um, these are the close friends. These are the friends that we think about when we talk about community, when we talk about knowing and being known, loving and being loved. These are the people where we can share private information with them, stuff that we wouldn't just share with everybody. We need these relationships. We are designed for personal belonging. And you know, one of the things I love about Jesus is that he had the whole human experience, just like we experience. And he needed friends too. In fact, in John chapter 15, he's got his friends around him, these disciples, and and he's been with them for a few years, and he's telling them, you are my friends. And he would share things with them that he wouldn't share with other people. And he would depend on them in ways that he wouldn't depend on other people. And he would ask things of them that he wouldn't ask of just anybody personal belonging. How are you doing in this area? What's your personal space like these days? And you know, you may be asking, you know, how, how, do, how do I find friends? Because, you know, I'm trying and it's not working and it's kind of discouraging and, and, and I get that. And so I, I thought I'd just throw out three just um, really basic things. And I know you guys know these things, but maybe they're just a little reminder and these things will help us just just to jump in and take a risk. The first one is this. Be intentional, but don't force it. Because good friends don't happen by accident, right? We have to be intentional. When you go out and you plant a garden, you have to be very intentional about it. But you don't force lettuce to grow. It just it sort of happens organically. And you know, I wish... I wish that we could manipulate good friendships to happen for all of us. I wish we could manufacture close friends, but we can't do it. We're not designed that way. What we can do is we can create environments where you begin to bump into each other, where you begin, where you begin to participate in ministry together or a group together or, a, or just a fun activity together, just like Dave and I got to know each other. And so my encouragement is to jump in. Be intentional, but don't force it. Here's number two. It's kind of a mouthful, so I'm going to read this for you. It's develop and display the ability to nurture an interest in another person's private information. 
when somebody invites you into the privacy of their lives, that's a sacred moment. That's a huge moment. I have a friend that always seems to know when to ask me how I'm doing. And I know that he's not looking for the, oh, I'm fine answer, you know, the pat answer. I know it's like, no, really, how you doing? And he'll remember, and I'll share things with him, and, and, and he'll come back to me and go, oh, how was this, that, and the other thing? Like, he's got the details down. I know that he's thinking about me. I know that he's praying for me. And I know that he's not out here talking about this stuff with everybody else. I, I can trust him, and he shows an interest in me. Here's number three. It's just simply be open. Be open. Some of the people that I've gotten really close to in my life, I had no idea that I would ever get close to them. I had known Dave for several years. When I first met Dave, I just thought he was silly. Because <laughs> he is kind of silly, actually. But, but he's actually really fun and really deep, and we've connected. But you just never know. And so I want to encourage you to be open. lakeside we can't we can't force this but our goal is to create some environments for you guys and so maybe you go out and you get on the table that social network or maybe you you decide to hey i'm going to go roller skating tonight and i'm going to see big giant steve on roller skates and laugh at that and put it on facebook and we're going to kind of connect with some people and it'd be great and so jump in public social personal and finally the deepest belonging takes place in an intimate space intimate space intimate friends are those that can share anything joseph meyer says these are the type of friends that can share the naked truth about themselves and yet not be ashamed i think we're lucky if we have one two if you're uber blessed maybe you have three of these people in your life and the whole idea of naked and unashamed, it goes back to that imagery in the garden where that first couple was there and it says that they were naked and unashamed. Shame had actually not been invented yet. And there was this complete acceptance in the midst of deep vulnerability. And the marriage should be that way, and, and, and we have to work hard because even in that relationship it's difficult, but you don't have to be married to have intimate space and intimate friendships. Jesus wasn't married, and yet he had relationships like this. In John chapter 11, his good friend Lazarus is dead. And Jesus comes to the grave. And he has this deep conversation with his two sisters, Martha and Mary. And he's grieving. He doesn't just let one tear fall. He wept. And everybody around said, look how much he loved them. There was a connection that Jesus had with this particular family. And in the next chapter, in John chapter 12, they're at the house and Lazarus is alive again. And Mary comes and she anoints Jesus. And she wipes his feet with her hair. The disciples really didn't get it. Jesus had been trying to tell them. They didn't really understand. And one disciple, he even got all upset about it. And she, he says, no, you guys don't understand. She's anointing me for my burial. Somehow, Mary got it. 
I, I, I don't know if the, this for sure, this is just sort of my opinion, but, but I think that for Jesus, when he walked on the earth, there was no other place where he felt more at home, maybe outside of his own walk with his own father, than in the home of Lazarus, Martha, and Mary. Intimate space. How's this space going for you these days? My only encouragement here is just, just to work hard. These types of friends are so difficult to maintain, these relationships, this type of belonging, and we have to fight for it. We have to risk for it, sometimes every day, in your home. But work at it. Hang in there. In fact, let me, let me just back up and just ask you guys, and maybe I'll just give you a little assignment this week, you know, just some self-reflection. How are you doing across all four spaces? I mean, are you loaded up on one but deficient in others? Maybe you're good in three, but there's one that's just lacking in your life. Maybe you're great in the small, and, and, and that just feels really good to you, but maybe you're sort of struggling in the other types of belonging. I, I believe that we actually need all four spaces to have a healthy sense of belonging. And we don't need as many personal friends as we have intimate friends, and we don't need as much social time as we have personal friends, and we don't need, you know, as much social time as, as, as we have public time. And so there's different kind of ratios there. But how are you doing across all four? And let me just give you, again, just maybe some really simple practical things that you might do. If you're struggling with public space, just show up and participate. If you're struggling with social space, hang out, chit-chat, share a snapshot of your life with somebody else. Personal space, jump in, just keep trying. Sometimes somebody else's friend card is full, and it's not your fault. Sometimes they just don't need a close relationship, or sometimes you were close and you kind of grew apart, and you need to replace that friend in your life. Jump in, take a risk, keep trying. And again, with the intimate space, work hard, because it's not easy. But my prayer is that you would take a step into belonging in your life, and that this would be a place where each and every person across the spectrum of those spaces would find belonging. Would you pray with me this morning? God, thanks so much for the way that you have designed us as relational beings. And God, uh, a lot of our pain comes from our relationships or lack of relationships. And that's because we're broken. That's because we need a healer. We need to be redeemed and recovered. And you are the one that can do that because you rose from the dead. And so we trust in that this morning. And God, may you help us to be a place at Lakeside and in our in our groups and in our, in our classes and in our events. And, and when we leave uh, this building and we're in our homes and we're out on the soccer field with our kids or wherever we're at, at the mailbox and saying hi to neighbors, that we would be a type of people that reach out to others and help them belong. Because that's what you've done for us. And we're so grateful that each and every person here this morning you say to them, you belong. 
God, we love you and we praise you in Christ's name. Amen.